0: Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda Podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I am the publisher on Agenda Media, publisher of Women's Agenda, and I'm with our editor-in-chief and my co-founder, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hello. Hello. On the agenda today, we look at the stats that show once and for all, as we've seen many, many times before, how women in leadership contributes to company profits and makes companies better and all these other wonderful, great things. We look at the shock resignation in Tasmania, where a very high profile senior male has stepped down for family reasons and talk about what that might mean in the wider context right now plus plenty more moments and things to share and wins for women. And we promise not too much politics this week. Thank you for listening. <laughs> so, Tyler, I did say not too much politics in this <laughs> episode this week because we know that it's going to ramp up only from here because the election will be called. It should be called any day, any moment now, maybe even by the time people are listening to this podcast. But you we know. keep it brief before we get to our wins for women. Talk us through what has happened this week. Who are some of the uh, people coming out and sharing their allegations about the Prime Minister and particularly the Prime Minister's character?
1: Oh, God. There's been a long lineup. So The at least list is to unending, isn't it? There were two very strong allegations. One was made by Catherine Cusack, who is a minister in the Northern Rivers where I'm at. And she has resigned from Parliament, but she is still sitting till the election, obviously. And uh, but she came out just again to to back up Conchetta Vanti-Wells' allegations against the Prime Minister last week, saying he is a bully in her experience he is autocratic, he doesn't care about the people of Australia and she was just rightly very pissed off about his conduct around the flood victims um, in particular and the politicisation of that. So um, in case people haven't been following, there are certain, up in the Northern Rivers there are two main electorates, one of them is is Labour, one of them is Liberal Um, and the liberal seat up here has actually gotten greater funding to this point so that that covers areas like Leesmore but not areas like Mawillenbath so i think the people up here and the communities up here are just rightly very frustrated and furious about this because we know that there are communities across this region from Tweed up to Byron that have been just so severely impacted and to just focus on one area and one area that is, you know, a safe liberal seat is pretty horrendous. So she stepped down but she she did come out firing this week. The other allegations that I thought were really, really strong to hear and, and really confronting to hear actually was Michael talk on the project last night. So there has been a lot of scrutiny around the 2007 pre-selection in Cook, in which Morrison was taking on Michael Talk, who was uh, the rival candidate, Liberal candidate at that time. Um, but Michael Talk has, has come out and said that, well, I mean, he's he actually signed a stat deck in 2016, but he came out this week to back up the allegations, again, that were raised by Conchetta Firavanti-Wells, that Morrison had basically racially profiled Michael Talk during that 2007 pre-selection and he had encouraged pre-selectors not to run with him as a candidate because he was Lebanese and, um, and then also suggested that he was a Muslim um, and, and clearly Cook is the seat in which the Cronulla riots happened and Morrison Despite you know fiercely denying these allegations, obviously would have known what the power of suggesting that at that time could mean and um and I, yeah, this interview with Michael talk last night said it was just it it really was just incredibly honest or at least he he definitely seemed to be he seemed to be someone who has carried this burden for a long time and and then has felt really compelled to share his side of the story and there was this kind of certain element of relief that I thought kind of came off from from what he was saying but one of the new allegations that came up from that was actually that a new cabinet minister or a cabinet minister had actually shared a message with Michael Talk this week saying I believe you but just tread lightly go you know deal with this carefully so that's that's another huge kind of bomb um, for the Prime Minister to deal with. Um, obviously, that Cabinet Minister wasn't directly kind of identified during that interview, but we can only speculate and it, and it just kind of adds fuel to the fire of people in Morrison's camp who are kind of willing to, to point fingers at him and, and really not have his back, which I find very concerning This close to an election, especially, that the party is willing to implode in the way that it is imploding because they clearly cannot stomach having him as their leader. I think that that's very telling.
0: Character is obviously so important and character is the thing that we will all look to and when you think about your kids can name the Prime Minister of Australia at a very young age, I always kind of come back to that idea of character and I just think it is so important that they have something there that isn't sort of going down the paths of what we're hearing is being described about Morrison in these various allegations and there are multiple allegations and people in your own party are saying that they won't vote for that party as long as he's the leader we can see that there is a real issue and that there is real cause to pause and sort of think about that. And I'm pleased we do get to talk about it because I also feel that these issues don't necessarily get a huge amount of airtime across a lot of papers and across a lot of um, um, Murdoch media particularly, especially in areas where there isn't a huge amount of other media. These messages don't necessarily get through and I think it's important to remember this and to hammer it home and to keep thinking about what is happening with this government, how it has been imploding in front page news across a lot of these papers, but that doesn't necessarily happen in this case. And the same with the budget. Like, I just look at um, how the the budget has been communicated and how you see in certain pockets of the media it gets communicated in very simplistic ways that really paint Morrison and Frydenberg as these statesman like blokes in their, you know, black and white. Um, photos and looking very grand and there to deliver this election for to deliver this budget for the election that it's going to save us all this money and make us happy for all of about five minutes yeah I think it's important to raise these issues and keep talking about them constantly because if we don't talk about politics and politics really does just happen to us let's get to our wins (laughs) I'll go first. Uh, Today we have just published new research and it feels like every few months we do publish this research so it doesn't necessarily feel like a big grand uh, new thing but I might say that this research is slightly different and it's research that once again presents the business case for gender diversity in leadership across corporate Australia. And I might say that we could probably apply it beyond corporate Australia and think about this is the case for leadership in any kind of segment of a committee or some kind of decision panel or some kind of leadership across all walks of life. So this research today comes from Real Index and they've done a study on gender diversity in the private sector. They looked at how companies with more, what they found in short, is that companies with more women in senior management teams have about 30% higher profit margins than those with lower gender diversity. And companies with more gender diverse senior management teams generated cumulative return on equity almost 30% higher than companies with less gender diversity over a five-year period. So it's not like this is just happening now. There is some longevity to it. And this study has tracked a huge number of companies as well. It's based on global data of 2,500 large-cap companies Companies across 30 different countries and over the course of a decade. So, they have found some very, very clear results that do link gender diversity in leadership, not just on boards and the CEO level. We've seen that research before, and that's often where this research is carried out because, um, in many ways, it is a little um, easier to see the direct correlation. Um, Seeing a leadership is not quite black and white as when you look at the number of people on a board and, and, and look at their gender. But I might do a special mention for the research that was published from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency and Bankwest Curtin Economic Centre back in 2020, I want to say. I've cited it a number of times since. And it is research that has been shared all over the world. It was quite groundbreaking and world-first. That time they found that there was a 4.9% increase in company market value for ASX-listed entities that achieved an increase of 10 percentage points or more in the share of their women on boards. And appointing a female CEO can also be seriously profitable, apparently, resulting in an average 5% increase in market value for those ASX-listed companies that had done so. So I like all these stats. We shouldn't need to have a business case for gender diversity and leadership. Like it should just be about doing the common sense thing that would say that if you tap into all portions of the population you're going to get better leaders you're going to get better decision makers you're going to get better talent of course you are rather than reserving it for some kind of special only segment of the population but here it is the data is pretty clear get some women on your board get some women in your senior, senior leadership positions and let's get women across all sorts of committees and anywhere that these key decision making is occurring including in cabinet including in politics i want to see more women there too that's me over to you tala what is your win this
1: week I reckon we might at the next election is my strong suspicion, Um, but yes, always good to see those stats back up what we already know. It is the kind of bleeding obvious, but there we go. There we have it. Um, My win for women this week. I've got two kind of sports wins, which Madeline Hislot would be very proud of me for having. Um, A Brisbane Lions player, Emily Bates, took out the AFLW's highest honour this week and she won the Best and Fairest Award for the 2022 season. It was a very tight contest. So Bates received 21 votes uh, and she came in just ahead of Adelaide's Ann Hatchard, who received 20 votes, and Ebony Marinoff on 18. But I loved her speech and her tribute to the sisterhood at the Brisbane Lions, and she said, you know, the girls were straight away there to clean up the house in the context of her home flooding in Brisbane. And that that's why she was referring to the sisterhood, particularly not just in terms of, you know, their brilliant capacity to play together and be incredibly talented athletes but just to to be a really united front in all cases so Bates's house in Brisbane had been flooded recently and she said the girls were straight away there to clean up the house and do what they could for our home which was ruined by the floods sisterhood is definitely what it feels like at the Lions and I love these girls like sisters as she said so I loved that and then my other win for women in sport this week was the women's, Australian women's cricket team who took out the Cricket World Cup on Sunday. And Alyssa Healy's performance in particular was what Mads described as, as one of dreams. She broke an innings record um, as the largest individual scorer in a World Cup final across the men's and women's games. Um, and that she got the most runs ever scored in a women's world cup tournament 170 so again just huge achievements from our female sports people and and the biggest thing that i love and what i take away most out of these kind of achievements is just the solidarity that exists and I think it's what everyone needs at the moment. is the antidote to everything that's shit in the world. So I thought that both of these massive achievements this week were worth noting.
0: Yes, they definitely were. So another, I don't know if I can call this an achievement, but it does take us to our next story that we did want to discuss. And I feel like it's kind of a story that occurred in many ways, quietly in Tasmanian state politics. It can be easy to, if you don't live in the state or if you're not in that state, to necessarily um, follow everything going on about politics. Although I know that we did all get to know the names of uh, a lot more uh, premiers and opposition leaders across the states um, through the pandemic. But in Tasmania, we did hear the story, and Tala, you wrote really nicely on this. We heard about the Resignation of Premier Peter Goodwin this week. It came as a surprise. He had only recently been elected. It was a big role. You might assume that when you get to being elected Premier of a state of Australia, likely worked for many years to get there and it has been a dream of yours for some time. He did announce that he was stepping down for family reasons. He wants to do some gardening. He wants to take a step back from Uh, that high-profile leadership and that high-profile life. And the one thing that was quite remarkable here, I mean, unless something's going to come out, is that he did so without any kind of scandal involved. It seemed like he was stepping down to reasons for wanting to spend time with his family. As far as I can see, he doesn't have any big executive job lined up with a massive corporation somewhere as well, which we often also see after these high-profile politicians step down. What was your take on it? I
1: love that that's like a win for us, is that <laughs> these kind of decisions, anyone's decision, especially like a, a man in the Liberal Party, decision to step down has to be like, <laughs> there, there has to be some kind of like <laughs> around it. I guess my biggest takeaway was that, that Peter Goodwin identified that he's had a really challenging time over the last two to three years, which I think is the case for all Australian premiers really they, they've they've really carried a mammoth burden, and they I know that not everyone is happy with their decisions, um, but at the end of the day, they were really trying to do the best thing that they could do for their constituents, and and often without the right support at the federal level as well. So he you know he noted that in his resignation, he noted that he really wanted to be putting his family first now after putting everyone else's families first for the last couple of years. And he has had, you know, considerable health challenges as well. He actually collapsed in his office, I think, last year. So clearly the pressure was mounting on him. But I guess my key takeaway was that we so often hear these kind of stories and we hear many women in in senior positions step back and identify the same challenges that Peter Goodwin has this week. But we don't often hear men who are high profile do the same. And I found that quite refreshing. I I mean, obviously, what spoke to me as well was that even though I I find that to be a refreshing decision for a high profile man to make, I don't think that it should be a decision that anyone should have to make. I think that there should be better frameworks and policies in place to support both men and women to have high profile challenging roles and careers but also be able to maintain their lives outside of that whether that be you know their social lives their families anything else any other competing priorities and in this case Peter Goodwin was just like that's not the case for me now I identified a couple of the policy areas within the piece that I wrote that I think would be meaningful I think in Peter Goodwin's case it's probably not as relevant because his his children are a bit older. But, you know, if you look at things like paid parental leave or early childhood education in this country, we are really still on the massive back foot um, when it comes to those areas. You know, paid parental leave in this country is still 18 weeks for a primary carer, two weeks for a secondary carer or dads and partners as they allocate it. And after the government's tinkering at the budget, that's changed to 20 weeks that can be divvied up between, you know, a heterosexual couple. But I just think it's really insufficient for what we need. It's not incentivizing men to take that time out to, you know, not only bond with their their child, but but also to, um, you know, create a level playing field within that relationship, and and to you know increase the economic participation rates of women in this country. And then if we look at childcare as well, you know we have one of the most cost prohibitive systems of childcare in the world, really. And and in metropolitan areas, it's kind of centers can cost from anywhere between you know 160 and i think in sydney there's one that's up to $190 a day you know and, and i think 40% of families or perhaps just over 40% of families actually just cannot even fathom affording childcare and even with the subsidies that are in place at the moment so we know that there are very clear kind of policies policy areas that can be changed and reformed to make sure that families are better supported and people don't have to make these calls. They don't have ultimatums in their lives between family and and career. And, you know, I I really hope that Peter Goodwin goes and has a a lovely old break and enjoys himself and and relaxes, but I, I ultimately, you know, hope that he is in a position where he has made that call and feels really comfortable with it and, and didn't feel like he was kind of absolutely pushed to breaking point to make that that call. Um, and I think that's what we really need to avoid with anyone.
0: And unfortunately, like there are Peter Goodwins that occur every day and usually for women every day across varying aspects of leadership or big roles it's not even leadership it's not like you have to hit your dream kind of career ambition or something to realize that you can't do what you're trying to do often it's people stepping back from jobs that they actually really need and could use and could really benefit from in terms of their long-term economic security it might not be their dream career but they still find themselves in positions where they actually have no choice but to step back from that and to take on and and, and return to more days supporting family sometimes it's just that you can't make it work in terms of getting the after school drop off or you can't make it work the mental load work you just can't make that happen it's not necessarily even about trying to do multiple things at once with the physical time that you have it's also that load that you feel on yourself that is just so much pressure that you just can't make it work long term and you can find that you're not doing things particularly well as you'd like to do them or you're not being the person that you might have thought you were or the person that you'd like to, to be or the supporting person within your family environment. And so I think we see that so often in our community. We see that so often not just, like I say, in high leadership positions, but it certainly does happen there, but also across all areas of work, across all areas of opportunity that people have been really happy to take on, grateful to take on, and have found that it just doesn't work with their family life. And often because... The structures are just not in place to support them, whether they don't have a supportive partner there to help or is it the cost of childcare, like you say, or is it the, a lack of after-school care before-school care or just a lack of flexibility if you think about people doing shift work as well. It's just there's so much everywhere that really does make it difficult for parents to do their careers, to do their work and to contribute as much as they may like and as much as in many cases they actually really need to.
1: Yeah and I think the other takeaway is that you know the last couple of years has proven to us that we can do things in a different way. You know people have been working remotely more than they ever have before and and we still see this kind of apprehension and reluctance with lots of people in returning back to, to office environments for the most part. I think you know we know what we need we know what we deserve within this balance of our lives in a way that we we have really never kind of factored in prior to the pandemic and i think that that is the the best byproduct of what has happened over the last couple of years as well and i think that any party any government that isn't kind of willing to consider that at this point is really going to shoot themselves in the foot because I think our whole ethos and, and, you know, thinking around what work and life should be has changed forever.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Peter Goodwin did um, certainly cite the pandemic and the experiences of the pandemic, and that is a lot of people's experiences as well. In some ways it's because they're burnt out from it. In other ways it's because they found something else from it that they want to hold on to and retain. Okay, so I think that's us for this week, a lot to go through, a lot that we ran through quickly. We did want to make a special mention and play this teaser now for a new podcast series that we are launching called Moments That Make Us. We have this awesome series of interviews lined up, going through these profiles in a bit of a different way, talking about the moments that actually create you as the person the leader that you are like that shapes your thinking that shapes your ambitions that shapes everything around your world and your life and really talking to really interesting women about some of those moments and as I'm sitting here I'm thinking oh, it would be great to actually kind of lay out some of my own moments to say what really shaped me but I can say that there is absolutely nothing even like 1% one percent as interesting as the moments that these women actually share. So I've got nothing in the tank to give there. But, <laughs> Tala, you've been working really closely on this podcast. Do you want to talk through the talent?
1: Yeah, I mean I first of all I want to say thank you to Stella Insurance who supported the podcast and, you know, our capacity to put this together. It's been a bit of a labour of love. I I think we so often interview amazing women across the site and every day, you know, we've, we share these brilliant stories. And it struck me that there are often, and especially for women, I think, there are often catalyst moments that occur in their lives and careers that really push them into a different trajectory. And so, you know, it's a six-part series. We have a huge raft of talent and, and the stories are phenomenal, as Anne's just noted. But the first episode will feature Kemi Pill. The second episode, I believe, is Dr. Yumiko Kododa. We've got Sam White, who is the, the CEO and founder of Stellar, actually, and her story is phenomenal as well. And Lisa Wilkinson and Taylor Harris rounding off the series as well. So Tune in. It will be a really uplifting, inspiring series to listen to.
0: And Shivani does an amazing job. Um, If you listen to the Women's Agenda podcast, you would have heard Shivani on the podcast previously. Um, She does help co-host it from time to time and she is an amazing interviewer. And I love where she goes with this because it brings in some elements that we don't typically always do on women's agenda because we do kind of delve more into some, some deeper areas with how these women really made their work, made their life, made everything around them really work for themselves. And so it's, it's quite a series. I will say there's Eloise Hall and Isabel Marshall as well. That was the the sixth episode where they featured together too. So we will cross to this teaser right now. Welcome to Moments That Make Us, a women's agenda podcast that explores those fork-in-the-road moments that change your life, the moments that make you, and the lessons learned along the way. I'm your host, Shivani Gopal, a woman with her fair share of life-changing moments, from leaving an early adult-arranged marriage, surviving financial abuse, to becoming a financial services executive and founding my very own Startups. I'll be sharing the moments that have made our guests into the women they are today. And we're able to bring this to life thanks to our friends at Stellar Insurance.
1: We'll be hearing from Dr. Yumiko Kodota. When you burn out and leave the hospital system, you're made to feel like a failure. I never really got to switch off. And I do believe that that is one of the major reasons why I got so mentally unwell. Kemi Nekbevil.
0: I'm thinking, okay, so I don't belong to the white people and I don't belong to the black people. So I'm going to have to belong to myself first. And that was definitely a moment that made me. The founders of Taboo, Eloise Hall and Isabel Marshall. This sort of time frame of life, 18 to 23, is a huge learning curve for anyone. Not only have we developed a company that's changed and progressed along the way, but us as individuals have progressed so much as well. And the CEO of Stellar Insurance, Sam White. It was a catalyst for me to make some changes and I have found many times in life that when things get really, really difficult, that's the time to go, I want to shift gears, do something different, make a big change, because that sometimes is the only way that you're going to get out of that
1: dynamic.
0: All right, Tyler, that's it for another week. I can't wait to listen to the remaining episodes of that podcast because uh, I've only gotten to listen to a couple so far. Thank you for chatting with me once again and thank you, everybody, for listening all the way through. If you did like the episode, you can leave a review. It does really help us. It helps us get seen and you can leave a I mean, you could always leave a nice review because you listened this far, so we can't be too bad. But <laughs> Thank you for listening. Once again, a reminder that you can access all the stories that we've discussed on our website, rumorsagenda.com.au, where you can also subscribe to our daily newsletter, which will arrive around lunchtime, featuring everything you need to know for the day. And a quick shout out for our political coverage that we're doing a lot of at the moment and a few things in the works to uh, get across so you can get across the policy areas that matter to you that impact women and, of course, all the candidates, particularly the female candidates, which we want to keep a close eye on at this federal election. Thank you for listening.